Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the second edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. It's a Monday here in New York. It's almost 67 degrees. It's a gorgeous, beautiful day. And here I am at my desk working away. But I will be out tonight. It's the worm supermoon. The worm supermoon is considered the first moon of the spring. And it was named uh, named by the Native Americans uh, because the worms are coming out of the ground and they're starting to emerge for the spring. And, of course, out of worms and larvae and everything come beautiful butterflies. So I'm wishing all of that for all of you out there. I've had a wonderful weekend. Uh, Yesterday afternoon, I went to the film forum to see a silent Alfred Hitchcock movie, a movie that I had never seen before. I really didn't know anything about it called The Lodger uh, with live piano accompaniment. I also have a confession to make. It was the first time that I had ever attended a silent movie, and it was great. That was followed by Show Broads at Birdland, starring Leanne Bergazi and Marta Sanders. And since I'm mentioning Marta Sanders, I want to put a shout-out. Happy early birthday, Marta. This show is a throwback to those old television variety shows that I grew up on in the 1960s and 1970s. And if you see or read or hear anything about show broads starring Leanne Borghese and Marta Sanders, not to be confused with any other shows with broads in the title, they are the official show broads. Please, please, please go and see them perform. I'm very excited. Any minute now, we're going to be getting a phone call from Steve Hayes. And I've been a fan of Steve Hayes for quite some time now. Uh, Steve, if you happen to hear me, go ahead and call in. But Steve Hayes has his own YouTube channel called Tired Old Queen at the Movies. And he is like a very... Well, gay version of Robert Osborne um, from Turner Classic Movies. And boy, did I love and do I still love Robert Osborne. I like to think of him as being in the next room and still being with us. I miss him. Uh, I would love to step into those shoes that Robert Osborne used to wear so brilliantly and beautifully. But if that doesn't happen, the person that I can recommend is Steve Hayes. If any of you are listening out there, please call in 515-602-9768. And let's talk about anything that's on your mind. The coronavirus, is that affecting anyone out there? How has that changed the way that you're doing things? Are you still going out? I will say this, going to two shows yesterday, uh, going to the movies in the afternoon and then seeing show abroads last night, both places were absolutely packed. And maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe we need to listen to what we're being told to do. But there were hugs 
and kisses galore uh, at the show last night. A lot of people in the audience that I knew, a lot of people that I haven't seen in a while, and so we were hugging and kissing. Um, There were a few who chose not to. But anyway, has it affected the way that you're doing business? How are you dealing with all the craziness going on in the world right now? Um, If any of you happen to be in Piermont, New York, or in the surrounding areas, tonight at 7 o'clock, I am going to be doing what is also the second part of a series that I'm doing throughout the year called Positive Full Mooning. And tonight we will be uh, celebrating a book called Hallowed Underground, Sacred Hope and Healing in Dark Times. And boy, do we need it now. And I will be interviewing Mickey Beloy. You know, I have a funny story around the world, uh, word hallowed. Years ago, I used to perform as Carol Channing, and one night I was doing my show, and lo and behold, Carol Channing was in the audience. Now, she came in quietly after the show began. We got her to our seat, and I'm sure that there were a lot of people in the audience who knew that she was there, but there may have been a few who did not know that she was there. But anyway, the show began. I'm on stage, and I am talking as Carol about her first time on a stage. And I said, and this, of course, is Carol's material, um, the first time I appeared on stage, I was standing on stage at the Curran Theater in San Francisco, and I knew I was standing on holy ground. And out of the audience, this voice emerged, it's hallowed ground. And, of course, I stopped in my tracks because the audience was taken out of the moment of the fact that they were watching quote-unquote Carol Channing on stage, only to be gobsmacked with the real Carol Channing sitting in the audience. And she stood up, God bless her, and she said, everything about this show is perfect. You've got to get every word right. I'm paying attention. And from that moment on, I was on pins and needles to give her her story as she wanted it told. It was an exciting, crazy, wonderful moment for me. I love Carol. Uh, And again, as I said earlier about Robert Osborne, I simply think of her as being in the next room. Again, I want to remind everyone that my special guest today will be Steve Hayes. Uh, You can call in and speak with either Steve or myself at 515-602-9768. I do want to let you know that Steve Hayes will be appearing at Pangea in New York City. They have a great menu. It's one of my favorite places to go. He's presented by Kevin Malloy's Tweed Theater Works. Um, And this show that he is doing is called With a Hitch. And he is going to tell you everything that you need to know about Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, It's a shocking grab the person next to your life. It's intimate. It's frightening. It's hilarious. I can't hear, uh, wait to hear what he has to say about the show. The show, once again, is Steve he- uh, Hayes with a hitch, and it will be on Sunday, March 29th at 7 o'clock uh, with a $25 cover, and there's also a food and drink minimum, but I'm not exactly sure what that will be. Um, I have also had 
the good pleasure of interviewing Tippi Hedren. And Tippi Hedren shared with me a wonderful story. Uh, it was, you know, The Birds was her first film. And when she got cast in the film, Alfred Hitchcock took her out one night for, uh, to dinner, and he presented her with a charm bracelet. And on the charm bracelet were these little birds. And also, she told all the men working on the set and on the film, hands off, she's mine. And she knew nothing about this. Until, of course, Rod Taylor asked her out one night, and or she asked uh, Rod Taylor to go out for drinks, and he said, I've been instructed, as we all have, that you belong to Hitch. She said, I don't belong to anyone. And she stormed into his office, and she told him so. She has a wonderful autobiography about her experiences on this film. I don't want to blow the rest of the story. Uh, you really have to tune in um, or read the book uh, to find out what's going. Again, we're waiting uh, for Steve Hayes to call in. Anyone out there who's listening, please call in at 515-602-9768. Speak with me. Speak with Steve Hayes. Let's talk about anything that's on your mind. What's your favorite movie? One of my favorite movies happens to be Jezebel. And a couple of years ago, Turner Classic Movies, they had a contest, I entered the contest, and I was flown out to Hollywood to present Jezebel at Grauman's Chinese Theater as part of the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival. And it happened to be one of the highlights of my life. Um, It was also at that time that Hello, Dolly! was opening on Broadway with Bette Midler, and a few nights later found me at the opening night of Hello, Dolly! with Bette Midler. I saw it a few weeks ago in Philadelphia with Carolee Cremello and John Bolton, the other John Bolton. And if you find out that they are performing anywhere in your area, uh, please, please, please go and see this show. I want to play a little bit for you while we're waiting for Steve to call in a little bit of his program, Tired Old Queen at the Movies. Uh, Take a listen. I'm Johnny, and I'm Steve And from all of us at Tired Old Queen at the Movies, happy gay pride. Let's go watch a movie. Johnny, you know what? I thought for Gay Pride this year that we'd do one of the classic films of gay film history, which was William Friedkin's version of Mark Crowley's off-Broadway stage hit, The Boys in the Band. This is really sort of a controversial play because there had been no play really about gay life. What's more boring than a queen doing a Judy Garland imitation? A queen doing a Betty Davis imitation. Essentially, the plot of the story is this. Michael, who is played by Kenneth Nelson, is holding a birthday party for his friend, Harold, who is played by Leonard Fry. What I am, Michael, is a 32-year-old, ugly, pockmarked Jew fairy. And if it takes me a while to pull myself together, and if I smoke a little grass before I get up the nerve to show my face to the world, it's nobody's goddamn business but my own. And how are you this evening? And he invites his gay friends. Frederick Combs plays Donald, who is sort of Michael's off-again, on-again boyfriend. They started out as a one-night stand, and then they became friends. Just friends, lovers no more. There's 
Ruben Green, works at a bookstore. He's gorgeous and fun. And there's Cliff Gorbin is Amory. Amory is the flamboyant queen of the bunch. He's over the top. Everything is married. Sister, don't tell me. Who do you have to fuck to get a drink around here? <laughs> Would you like somewhere? <laughs> He's really comic relief and at the same time so poignant, so sad. There's also a couple, uh, Lawrence Luckabill and Keith Prentice, and they play Hank and Larry, and they've been together, and Larry wants to be free. Larry is unhappy being in a relationship. Hank has been a father. He left his wife and kids for Larry, and he wants more of uh, fidelity in the relationship. We haven't exactly met, but we've... Hi. What's your point? Well, we've seen each other before. Oh, well, that sounds murky. Where? I think they're having their first fight. Yeah. So these things are kind of all under the surface as these people get together. Now, Amory, Cliff Gorman, has bought Harold a birthday present, and the birthday present is a hustler, and he calls himself Cowboy, and he's played by Robert Latorno, and he's so sweet and innocent and sexy. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Harold, happy birthday to you. And kind of dumb. Yeah, that's not even Harold, you idiot. Oh, well, you said whoever answers the door. Not until midnight. He's supposed to be a midnight cowboy. <laughs> so these are all the sort of stock characters in gay films and literature at that time. There also comes, unexpectedly, his straight college roommate, Alan. This old college friend of mine is in town, and he's on his way over here for a quick drink on his way to dinner someplace. But now look, he's straight. Straight? If he's the one I met, he's about as straight as the yellow brick road. And Freakin's job was to take this stage play, and it is a stage play, just like Mike Nichols' job was, and to open it up. And he does that at the beginning with the credits. They have this male group uh, called Harper's Bazaar singing uh, Anything Goes at the beginning of the credits. And you see shots of New York in the 70s, and they're all working their way towards the party. And they're so really great. Uh, and you get this joyfulness that I found as I was in my 20s when this movie came out, and I was in New York around that time, and there was a joy, joyful feeling in the city at that time. It was just fun. It was great to be gay. It was fun. Um, yeah, we had our problems, but, you know, overall, it was it brought it, it brings that back, that, that sweet nostalgia for me. It's this wonderful scene where all the boys line up, and they're all dancing like they're on Fire Island, which is just so fabulous, you know. <laughs>
more and more scathing. Beware the hostile fag. When he's sober, he's dangerous. When he drinks, he's lethal. The dialogue is very, very acerbic, but the lines are hysterical. Whenever Michael starts to get nasty, the drunker he gets, Harold will go, turning, turning, turning. coming in. Uh, so let's take this call and let's see who's on the air. Hello? 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 It's Steve. Hello? It's Steve Hello, Steve. We were just listening. I don't know if you were able to hear us out there, but we were just listening to your tired old queen of the movies when you were talking about one of my favorite films, The Boys in the Band. Oh, gosh, yes. Isn't it wonderful? I love the boys. It's in the one band. of my favorites. And of course, you and I are both boys in the band, and we're proud of it, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We are. So I, I know that you're calling in on your cell phone, so make sure that you mm-hmm. speak out loud so that everyone I out will. there can hear you. Um, okay. I was just talking a little bit about your uh, upcoming show with a hitch. Yesterday afternoon, I think I told you this when we spoke over the weekend, that I went to see The Lodger, which was my – it was the first time, believe it or not, that I had ever seen this film. I didn't know anything about it, and it was the first time that I had gone to a silent movie. My, really? How interesting. Well, now, I've seen them on one. television, of course, on uh-huh. Turner Classic but Movies. you see it in the screen. Oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. What well, a great you know, experience. It laid the basis. It laid the basis for his whole career because he studied a, a lot of did a lot of studying at Ufa um, in his twenties, which was the big Berlin movie studio. And he saw Metropolis get filmed, The Man Who Laughed, and he was very much. Uh, an advocate of what he called pure cinema. In other words, no dialogue, no talking. He felt that if you could watch a film and get the entire story in a silent film, then it was the movie. And he always prided himself on the fact that you could turn off the sound on any of his sound pictures and follow the film completely. He, he really didn't, he had great screenwriters, but he really, the less talk, the better. Now, do you have a favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie? And we're going to talk a little bit more about Alfred Hitchcock and what he means to you. But let's okay. start with this uh, film work. Do you have a favorite uh, movie that uh, resonates with you? Vertigo. Vertigo was my first Alfred Hitchcock film I ever saw. And it was also, it's also been my, fir- my favorite film of all time uh, is Vertigo. Yeah. And yeah. why is that? I don't know. I'm, I guess because... <clears throat> It resonated to me because of its fascination with obsession. I, you know, Hitchcock is known as not only the king of suspense and, you know, fright, but he was also one of the great romantic directors. And Vertigo is not only a, a, a telling story of the dangers of obsession, because he goes right to the end with obsession and there's no turning back. 
But it's also an incredibly romantic film. Um, I saw it when I was 10 years old. I had flu. <laughs> and I was lying on it. And I was, at my, I was at my grandmother's. And my mother was always trying to get me to shut up for five minutes. So she put me on the couch. I was a little bit delirious with fever. And she turned on NBC Saturday night at the movies and said, here, watch this. Watch a movie. Because my generation in the 50s and 60s, I think, was one of the first generations where parents used TV to babysit. So she plunked me down. Now it's a, a phone uh, device in their hands. Yes, yes. It was just, it was great. And so I watched Vertigo in this feverish state and it just touched me. It just, I became obsessed with it. That and Kim Novak's eyebrows, which always to me looked like when you were a little kid and you drew birds in the distance. Boom, boom. You know, they, <laughs> they looked like yes. birds. <laughs> now you mentioned, you know, your 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 parents, your grandparents putting you on the couch and saying, "Watch this movie." Don't you miss those days when the family would sit together and watch a movie? A lot of movies that are classics. I remember the first time they were shown on television when they were first being sold to television before they went into syndication and all of these late shows and everything. Oh, I remember yes. the first time and, and... Gone with the Wind was shown, for example. Oh, for God's sake, my first date I ever went on was to Gone with the Wind. And my mother had to drive me to pick up the girl and take her to the date. And all the time <laughs> that we were driving, she kept saying to me, watch how Clark Gable kisses Vivian Lee. That's how you're supposed to kiss a woman. Watch this. You don't kiss anybody <laughs> except like Clark Gable. Now watch this. So I, I, of course, the date went badly. She jumped out of the car to when we took her home before we even got the car stopped in front of her house. But on the way, uh, for a few years later, after I, you know, uh, when I was in my 40s, I said to my mother one time, you know, Mom, you were absolutely right. You told me years ago to kiss like uh, Clark Gable. And every man I ever kissed, I kissed just like Clark Gable. <laughs> Well, you didn't have to tell me that. (laughs) But you learned from the best. I did. I did. Although I will tell you this, Lana Turner once said that Clark Gable was a terrible kisser. You know something? That may be true, but when you watch him kiss Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind, I would beg to differ. And, uh, and it always works for me. You you hold them tight, you push, you push them, you bend them over, and you kiss their face off. Nowadays in movies, everything's like peck, 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 kiss, peck, little tongue kiss. Uh-uh. I like the old-fashioned bury your face into the kiss. And, you know, it's like when I watch From Here to Eternity and Burt Lancaster puts his tongue so far down Deborah Carr's thing, her her. Or toes wiggle, you know. It's like, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, you just mentioned two. uh, You just mentioned two. What are some of your favorite kisses in movies? Okay, okay, this is a great. I love this. Um, Well, definitely Gone with the Wind. Definitely From Here to Eternity. Um, the kiss, there's an incredible kiss on the dance floor between Dana Andrews and Linda Darnell in Fallen Angel. And it's one of the first up close. Preminger takes that camera right into their profiles and you watch him open his mouth. And when he parts from her, a little bit of spittle comes between the two of them. That's how <laughs> it was. I went, whoa, you know, that, that is a hot hot, hot kiss. Um, I think that, um, oh, the Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak kiss against the crashing surf in Vertigo is amazing. Amazing kiss. Um, Jimmy Stewart, in fact, said, well, the, 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 the last kisser I ever had was Gene Harlow. 
Well, I read a movie called <laughs> Wife of Versus Secretary, and, and I just kept blowing the takes. So I, I, I'd have to kiss her again. <laughs> One of my favorite kisses in movies, believe it or not, is James Mason and Judy Garland after she sings at long uh, at somewhere at, uh, at last in A Star Is Born. Uh huh. Yes. Somewhere, somewhere. Yes, very much. Very <laughs> there, much. That's such uh, a yeah, sexy moment. Now, Steve, oh, I want to talk. Hitchcock, uh, Hitchcock had amazing kissing scenes. Notorious has that whole kissing scene across the room, and where they turn and they kiss across, all the way across the room. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, and it's one of the he he was always Hitchcock was always pushing the censors. Hitch, one of the things I talk about in my shows also is Hitchcock's use of gay characters in his film subtly slipped in into his films, and he was fascinated by gay gay people and gay characters um he would always put them in his films and you can just boom 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 trace them right right on through well where do you think that comes from where do i think that comes from i think a natural curiosity i think we all have a little bit of gay i'm not saying just kind of gay but i think we all have a fascination a little bit of gay a little bit of straight i like watching straight people kiss i like watching gay people you know i mean i think it's a natural thing and i think it was a phenomenon that you know he was sort of sexually repressed and i think without going into too much detail i think it was one of the things that he just was fascinated with you know um he has and he doesn't always explain it and he slides in so there's a scene in Suspicion, fabulous scene in Suspicion, uh, where Joan Harrison uh, wrote the screenplay to that. Um, they're doing a film festival right now, fabulous film festival at Film Forum on uh, Hitchcock. Oh, and that's where I Harrison. saw the film yesterday. Incredible. Yes, well, he, she, she wrote a dinner scene in Suspicion where she he goes to Aria Lee, who plays this mystery writer, Isabel Sedbusk is her name. Isabel Sedbusk. And she's got this mannish woman who is obviously her lover at the dinner table it's never explained they have this rapport back and forth she knows where everything is and it's so obvious that they are a couple and it's just never explained it's and her brother is played by this gavin oh i can't think of his last name his first name is gavin who was also the lover for many years of edward edward horton so he would slide these people in you know he would just and he loved that he loved he loved teasing the censors you know one of my favorite things that he way he teased the censors was do you remember in vertigo she jumps into san francisco bay and mm-hmm. he rescues her, and she's unconscious, and he puts her in the car. And when the next scene is, her clothes are hanging in Jimmy Stewart's apartment, and the phone rings, and he goes in, and she's naked in the bed and wakes up naked in his bed. So he stripped her and put her naked in his bed. Now, that alone is pretty provocative for 1958. But then at the end of the movie, when they're climbing up the stairs and he gets her to confess everything, he says, you were a good swimmer. I'll bet you were a good swimmer, which indicates that she wasn't even unconscious. She was awake the whole time. He stripped her and took her clothes off and put her into the bed. Wow. Now I want to talk yeah. about the path yeah. that led that to, you know? I mean, that is so kinky and fun, you know, <laughs> And you know, and don't you miss that kind of love in uh or seduction or whatever you want to call it, uh, from those films? And they were much well, more creative know, than anything we see today. Well, you know, honey, it's also um it's also a, a, a thing on when those films were made. Now, you also there isn't a, there was a great uh, when Hitchcock came to America. 
uh, and made Rebecca and started his American sojourn. Um, we were at the we were into World War One, World War Two, and it was a period of great heightened romanticism. These guys never knew if they were going to come come home again. So love and that kind of passion and romanticism was very prevalent in World War II movies, right up through. And then he continued to carry it on because this, the, the sexual awakening of the 50s, which you had with, uh, you know, his movies got more and more provocative. Um, and he, he started doing that, you know, like Grace Kelly bringing over and staying overnight with Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window, and they're not married. And, um, you know, later on, um, he uh, he does he in Vertigo in North by Northwest they have sex on the train you know I mean he just and the Douglas Sirk movies of the fifties which started things you know and people were starting to wake up you know more provocative stuff you know written on the wind where Dorothy Malone plays this out of control nymphomaniac you know and trying to get in bed and stuff I mean I think that there was always an underlying romance to it because you would have these themes but then you would have what I called the romance of the people who did the scores. One of the great things that's overlooked, I think, a lot in these films is how important and how memorable these movies are because of the music. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is just to listen to the score alone without watching the movie. Well, and it gives you a whole to. completely that- <laughs> different way of looking at the film. I have listened to nothing but film scores for years. As, uh, as I listen to them constantly. Uh, I, every, as, <laughs> as, 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 I know I do. I know, I know, I have no life. But I listen to them constantly because, and then you can, after a while, you can start to hear a bit of the score and go, oh, well, and not, not necessarily know what it is, but just hear the notes and go, oh, well, that's Max Steiner. Oh, well, that's Hugh Friedhofer. Oh, well, that's Jerry Goldsmith. You know, you start differentiating. And, um, the great, the great, like for example, I went. I love it when they discover scores. I went up, um, I went out to the to the museum of the moving image about two uh, a few months back. And I saw Marlon Brando's only film that he ever directed, which was called One Eyed Jacks. It's a western. Oh yes, I know it. it. Yeah. It's gorgeously photographed, but it has the most sumptuous romantic score by Hugo Friedhofer. It's just gorgeous. And I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And fortunately, a friend of mine made me a copy of it. I listen to it constantly. It's just, oh, it's so romantic. It's so wonderful. And, uh, you know, there were the music, especially Hitchcock's films, would have been a whole different ball game without Bernard Herrmann. Just a whole different ball game, and not only Herman, but Franz Waxman in the '40s. Uh, you know, uh, Miklos Rosa was spellbound. Um, he had a, a Dmitri Tiomkin in the '50s. He had amazing people writing music, but but Herman, oh my God, the Herman scores are just. And how that he Herman must have made a lot of music. How North by Northwest, Vertigo, Psycho, how they didn't get nominated for Oscars is beyond me. Beyond me, he never I, got I absolutely. I totally agree. Which goes goes to show you that it's not necessarily the best or even the worst that gets nominated or does not get nominated. Oh no! It doesn't. To all those artists out there who are vying for awards, just do good work and see what happens. Yes, and you all, and you never get it, you know, and you never get it for for what you usually deserve it for, anyway. I mean, that's absolutely true. 
Oh yeah, they threw they threw the Oscar for suspicion to Joan Fontaine in forty one when she should have gotten it in forty for Rebecca. I mean, th- this always happens, you know. Um, th- that's just and they never gave Hitchcock an Oscar. He never won an Oscar. He should have and Rear Window should have definitely won him the Oscar. And Psycho was amazing. Psycho was an amazing. Amazing. Now, speaking of Hitchcock, I do want to let everybody know once again, I'm on the phone with Steve Hayes. Um, If you want to speak with Steve, call in. The number is 515-602-9768. And Steve Hayes has a new show called With a Hitch. Get it? Presented by Kevin Maloney's <laughs> Tweed Theater Works, the masterful chronicler of everything uh, Tinsel brings legendary director Alfred Hitchcock to shopping, uh, shocking, grab the person next to you life. Intimate, frightening, hilarious. Now, how did this show come about? Well, it, what happened is, you know, I've been doing comedy for years, and I've been doing I, – I always did characters. I do character monologues that I've written, and I always do characters. And I, and since um, Tired Old Queen at the Movies, which is 10 years old now, a lot, of people, a lot of people follow me because of my YouTube show, Tired Old Queen at the Movies. So I was talking in one of my shows, and I just improved Hitchcock. And – afterwards everybody came up to me and said oh my god you've got to do a Hitchcock show you've just got to do a show just with Alfred Hitchcock and what you know because he's always been my favorite so I thought you know what a great thing and as you know having you know being a, a, a cabaret performer for many years uh, par excellence yourself you know oh, you. that you have to change it you have to scramble it you have to take risks you have to change it up or else you get stale so I um I decided to do this, but I decided that I wouldn't script it. So I would just do it off the top of my head. And that's what I do. I come in and it's like, I try to make it as if Hitchcock was a guest at your, at your house for dinner in your living room. And you were just, it was after dinner and he was just talking, talking, talking. And that's how I make it. I remember years ago, I kind of tried to model it on, two things uh you know hal holbrook's show mark twain tonight which i always thought was a, an incredible one person show and then also um years ago you could invite quentin crispin he would come to your house for dinner and all oh my god i had dinner with uh-huh. crisp oh yeah now that oh, was an experience oh yes and fabulous and i thought why i so enjoyed my dinner with quentin crisp i thought why don't I try to create that kind of more of familiarity in the room with a, with an audience? So that's what I do. I, you know, that's, I just walk in, I, I just see where it goes and I'm Alfred Hitchcock for an hour. Is it an audience interactive show? No, I don't do that because I, um, because cock has some, I don't want to talk about the, I don't want, Hitchcock was not necessarily a nice person. He did a lot of stuff that you know he he was he he uh, he has his issues with with his actresses with Tippi Hedren and how he treated her and stuff and that's not nice and uh, or politically correct. He also alienated every single one of his team, every single one, and that's why when he by the time he died, no Bernard Herrmann, um, no no George Tomasini, no Rupert Bert, Robert Burks. None of these people who had made his films, you know, you do not make a film by yourself. It's your, it's a collaborative team effort. No John Michael Hayes, who wrote his fabulous scripts in the fifties. So I, I try to keep it just light talking more about the act of film and how he viewed 
film and what he tried to do because everybody copied him. He was so innovative. Everybody copied him. He, he, he set the standard, not only for thrillers, but for, for filmmaking in general. You know, I use as a basis, I usually use Francois Truffaut's book uh, on Hitchcock interviews from the 60s. Um, well, let me ask I, you this. I mean, do you set this show at a particular time in Hitchcock's life, or no, is yes, it, you know, no, that he's, he's just come he's back dead. to join us? He's dead. He's come back from the dead. He's dead. Okay. I say, it's his, like his ghost. He goes, well, I... You know, he's been gone 40 years. So <laughs> it's like he has nothing to lose. So he comes back and he, and he talks, you know, and he, and he talks about his influences. And I, I fill it with as many comic, you know, sweet, warm anecdotes. I keep it light. It's, called, it's like Hitchcock light. You know what I mean? Well, what do you think is the biggest misconception about Alfred Hitchcock? That he was strictly a thriller director. I think Alfred Hitchcock was the great romantic director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they, everybody automatically thinks, oh, Hitchcock. That's why some of his other films that I love, I, Hitchcock's second string movies, I think, are as good or better than most people's best efforts. Because now, they were based on all of the research that you've done on Alfred Hitchcock uh, yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. of course, your love and affinity for these films, is he somebody that you would have loved to have sat down and had dinner with? I think so. I think so. Because, you know, um, he could be, but, you know, I, I, I think I would have liked to have had sat down and had had dinner with him as I portray him, not necessarily as he actually was. He, he, he tended to have sort of a vulgar sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He, he loved to tell really dirty jokes and he loved to, to he loved, um, he loved embarrassing people by being a little bit, you know, Risque. I, I don't. I. I would just rather have him uh, have his what we what they call his company manners on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that that is the Hitchcock I try to present. So that was that's who I that's who I would have liked to have had. So if, if now in your as, own uh, estimation, do you have a favorite period in to, in Hollywood history that you would consider? Let's say that it would be called the Steve Hayes Golden Age of film. Oh jeez! Oh, you're so, oh, you're so naughty. Now <laughs> that's so hard. Um, I, I have. I, I would say that it, it, it's genres. Okay, more okay. genres. I love film noir. I love film noir, um, and that uh, that is wonderful to me. And I love. Uh, I love the 1950s. I love the the films of Douglas Sirk. And his melodramas, and I love, um, I love the melodramas of Vincent of Vincent Minnelli, Vincent Minnelli and Douglas Sirk. Uh, I, you know, and Vincent Minnelli is known for all the musicals, and they're all wonderful. But the same qualities that he and and rhythms that he brings to his musicals, he brings to his melodramas, and they're all star melodramas, and they're fabulous. My favorite being, of course, The Bad and the Beautiful. Oh my you know, God! Uh, what a gorgeous oh film, film! Oh my God! Is that isn't it fabulous? I mean, it's it's my favorite movie on Hollywood about Hollywood, The Bad and the Beautiful, and um, and his other films are always fascinating. The Cobweb, which takes place in a mental institution, Richard Widmark, Lauren Bacall, um, Gloria Graham at her best, Lillian Gish, um, you know, Some Came Running with Shirley MacLaine and Frank Sinatra, Home from the Hill with Parker. You know, they're 
great big splashy melodramas, and I just love them. <laughs> They're all colorful. Now, would you put a matter of time in that category? Huh? <laughs> I said, would you put a matter of time in that category? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> no. No, I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever no, have you done a tired old queen of the movies about a matter of time? No, no. I think no. you should. Okay, well, I'll put it on my list. It's, we'll it, take a look. It's a very interesting film. I haven't seen it since it first came out. Uh, I uh, I just did the clock. That's my latest tired old queen of the movies, Manelli movie. I I just did uh, the clock, and that's a, a beautifully filmed movie. Oh, God, it's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. I mean, New York City is, of course, I mean, and it's been said in other books and everything. I'm not, this is not out of my own head. But New York City is a character in this movie. Oh, definitely. And and the way, as I say in this review, you could watch, I mean, Judy Garland and Robert Walker beguiling. There's no question. They they never make a false move. But there's so many stories with the supporting characters, not just the supporting character, but the bit players going on around them. It is like you're really in Penn Station. It's fabulous. It's just you know he always keep, he really got the feel of the New York life teeming around you. And it opens with the that fabulous screenshot going overhead into. Penn Station and all of the people walking around and then you pick up and there's Robert Walker and it leaves the same way with Judy Garland walking into the crowd and all of a sudden the crowd's around her and she's gone. It's just, oh, it's just like a moment in time. It's fabulous. Now I want to ask you, I mean, Uh with all of these old movies and uh, has there been a star from that era that you got to spend time with um, you know, that uh, was like an icon that you spent an evening with or an afternoon with or any time well, at all with. Well, yes, um, because when I moved to the city in the 70s, a lot of these people were still out on the – they were living in New York. You could see Absolutely. Them I used to I see was, them as well. Oh, yes. And I was an upstate boy. My father was an avid hunter. And we used to, he used to, I we used to go for drives and he would teach me how to spot deer. I know that sounds weird, but I can look out in any landscape and tell you where there's a deer. Yeah, I've even been on a train <laughs> where I look into a forest and I could see them lying on the floor of the forest. I just have an eye for it. So when I moved to New York, I applied the same technique to spotting old movie stars and gay men in crowds. <laughs> so, so I, could I love it, I love go, it, I love okay. it You know, I could walk into a crowd and go, oh, there's a good old boy right there Or I could, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could walk into a, a, to a, a crowd or walk on the street And see, the first star I ever saw in New York was Ingrid Bergman And I saw her oh my God. blocks away, walking down Madison Avenue I, I recognized her from the back and I went up to her and I said, I went, oh, Miss Bergman. And she said, yes. And I said, oh, um, I love you. And she looked at me kind of ironically. She said, well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to have conversations like I used to have a, I used to talk with Joe Van Fleet. 
Jovan Fleet. Oh, my um, God. Uh, She's one of my I favorites. I know. Jovan Fleet, for those of you who might not know, uh, she won an Academy Award for her first movie, which is playing James Dean's mother in East of Eden. And she usually plays Well, I grew up watching who, her as the stepmother in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Uh, a shout-out to Leslie Ann Warren, who I interviewed last uh, Monday. Oh, God, she's delightful, isn't she? She Talk about a lovely. Oh, I love her. She's lovely. But, yeah, I, I would sidle up to her. And I and I never with all of these women I we, I don't try to fawn or anything I just sidled up one day and I because she would walk on the street nobody knew who she was she looked like the part she played in the fifties by this time and I said I I saw you last night in Wild River with Monty Clift at the Thalia you were fabulous and she got that look on her that ironic look she said yeah I was pretty good in that one wasn't I. <laughs> well, you just mentioned something. You mentioned the Thalia. And when I first came to New York, I came to New York in 1979, a kid from the tobacco farm in South Carolina. And one of my favorite spots in New York, and I know you, we must have seen each other there, not even knowing each other, was the Regency. Mm-hmm. Yes, you remember the Regency? The Regency specialized, the Regency specialized in, in uh, MGM musicals. Mm-hmm. And. And had the great giant – when you walked into the Regency, remember, they had the great big giant portraits of all the stars on the wall in the lobby? Yes, yes, yes. And the Regency was where I watched Joe Van Fleet watch herself in East of Eden. And I sat two two rows behind her, and she sat in the balcony. And when her scenes weren't playing, she just sort of sat there and watched it. And as soon as she came on with James Dean, out came her glasses, and she put her hand under her chin and leaned forward and watched it. It was so fascinating. And uh, you know, I had a similar experience. My my first my first experience in New York. My first day in New York. I live in the '90s on the West Side. And I was walking around. I had just arrived the, and, and the day before, and I didn't know my way around. And all of a sudden, I turned a corner, and there is the Thalia. And they were showing a double bill of All About Eve and Laura. And I went in, and I sat, and I saw All About Eve twice, and I saw Laura three times. I couldn't believe I actually, they actually had theaters that ran old movies. And that was my first my first full day in New York. I spent in the failure. <laughs> you know, Your I thought, first I day in New York. Oh, and then later on when I met Joseph Mankiewicz, I, there was a little bookstore right next to the Thalia that used to sell secondhand books. And I went in there and I bought a first edition of the script, published script of All About Eve. It was one of the first scripts that they ever published on its own. And and when I met Joseph Mankiewicz, I had him sign it to me, so I have it signed by him to me. Yeah. Oh and, my and God. Inside the cover, inside the cover, I have a picture of uh, Betty Davis and Celeste Holm and Ann Baxter with a promo shot walking. And so he opened it up and he looked at it and he said, um, "Well, Annie, she's dead now. And Betty, she's just about dead now." And then he looked at <laughs> Celeste Holm and she said, "I think she sells Frigidaires somewhere." <laughs> oh my god oh my god uh, again i want to remind everyone i'm on the phone with steve hayes he's going to be at pangea on sunday march 29th at seven o'clock in with a hitch and you can of course find him on uh, his own youtube channel tired old queen at the movies and if you want to speak with steve please call in at 515-602-9768 now, we've been talking a lot about your past. 
Let's talk about your future. What's coming up? Well, they're supposed to be shooting a sequel to Trick. So uh, Trick is a film that I made uh, uh, in 1999, and it's sort of become a gay cult film. It's a romantic comedy. It stars Tori Spelling and Christian Campbell and Jay Peru and me. And uh, it was up for... Now, will will all of the cast be coming back? Yes, we're all coming back. <laughs> Thank God, we're all. Oh, coming that's here. amazing! And, uh, wow. We went out and we and it's. I don't know. It's in the works. So we. I went out twice to L.A. last year, and um, and they're uh, they're supposed to be doing it. So that's coming up. Then um, I've got several plays, and I'm, I've been doing musicals for the last few years. I've been doing uh, uh, playing character parts in musicals. So I'm hoping to land one of those very soon. I've been auditioning and then doing that and let's see what else. Um, and play readings and, uh, and, uh, and uh, we just, we just shot, I just went out, uh, I just shot 10 more episodes of Tired Old Queen at the Movies. 12, 12. I shot a year. A 12, 12 so what can we expect and, coming up? Oh, you, I don't tell. I don't tell. No, no. I like well, you can give us clues so, oh, well, without telling. I have a, I have a film noir coming up. I have a, I have an action adventure war movie coming up. I have a beloved musical coming up. I have a starring vehicle where one of the stars plays identical twins coming up. I have a now there is uh, that, there are a lot of those. <laughs> uh huh. I have a disaster film coming up. I try to cover all the bases. Um, I have a lovely Christmas film. I have an unusual Halloween comedy. Um, let's see. So, you know, I try to, I try to cover, but I always try to make it a, a like a surprise. So when people, uh, tune in, they go, Ooh, but if they want to get a taste of it, I have almost, I think I have almost 200, if not 200 episodes on YouTube. If you just pull, type in tired old queen up, I come. So, and I'll I love tell you what's because, dangerous so I about that. With it. I, I, what, what was that, honey? I'll tell you what's dangerous about that. Because oh, once I'm sorry. you sit down and you start, you're sucked in. <laughs> Aren't you great? I mean, I, I spend hours watching these. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. No, it's, I'm telling you the absolute truth. I absolutely love them. I mean, you want to tour with this. Um, I mean, you should be touring, uh, uh, you know, and Turner Classic Movies with the Fathom Events. Uh, next week they're going to be showing King Kong. I've never seen King Kong uh, in the movies, so I'm going to see oh, that as you'll well. You love it. You know, King Kong, Kong is one of the greatest action adventure movies ever, ever, ever made. It really is. It is a suspense. It is so. It's and because it's really coded. It's You're breaking up a little bit. Did you move? You're breaking up. Yes. How, how is I'm all right now? That's Can better, you? a little bit better. Okay. I went into my kitchen. I was a fool. Um, okay. It's brutal. It's, it's brutal. It's violent. It's it's action from beginning to end. It's remarkable for the time it was made. I'm a real fan of stop action animation. I'm a real fan of Ray Harryhausen and all the all of the things he did with. Um, Jason and the Argonauts and, and uh, you know, the seventh voyage of Sinbad and, and his um, monster movies he did in the 50s. He was astonishing. That was such amazing mm-hmm. work, you know. Now, did so you, you ever meet Ray Ray? 
Yes, I did. I got her autograph. and I met her once. Yes, she was very lovely. She was elderly and gracious and lovely. Um, I was at a party one night at Rick McKay's, and you you knew Rick McKay, didn't you? Yes, I did. Bless his heart. Yes, I did. Bless his heart. And we were at a party, and I'm sitting with my husband, and I said, oh, my God, that's Faye Ray. And my husband, who... Is doesn't have the same affinity that you and I have. He said, she's dead. I said, no, that's Faye Ray. And, of course, she comes down, and she sits down between the two of us. Her first question was, are you a couple? And we said yes. Oh. And she sat down and started asking. She was more interested in hearing about both of us than talking about herself. And well, I was lucky you know, enough to meet Gloria Swanson at a party. Oh, loved wow. her, loved her, loved her. Wow. Well, I met uh, I met Betty Davis just before she she not too long before she passed away, and that was an amazing thing for me because I was one of these. You know, I always say that you know there there are factions of of fans uh, who love the people who suffered with you know trials and tribulations like Marilyn and Judy and those people, and then there are the ones like me who love a girl with a gun. <laughs> you know, I, love, I love them. I love it, it, uh, you know Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Barbara Stanwyck, Susan Hayward. You you know Susan Hayward has always been my favorite. But you know you just uh, those are the gals I, that I love. So when I met Betty Davis, I was really really thrilled to meet her, and um, and she was she was great fun. I took her. Um, I had seen. I had a copy of a of a um, play that she that brought her to Broadway. It was called Broken Dishes in the twenties. In the in and I, um, I took it out and I I snuck up to her table. It was at the Lincoln Center Tribute. And it was after at the dinner and I said, well, I said uh, I was going to mail this to you, Miss Davis, but I decided to give it to myself. And she, you know, she was just by this time the poor she was just skin bones and eyeballs, you know, popping eyeballs. Oh, yeah. And she said, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's a copy of Broken Dishes. And she said, oh, my God, don't you want it? And I said, well, no, but I'll trade you for an autograph. And she signed it for the program that night. And I went to to leave, and I thought, I have to have one more look at her. And I turned around, and she was sitting next to her assistant, Catherine Cermak, and she's looking at the program I gave her, and she says to her assistant, do something with this. And she tossed it over her shoulder. I thought, how great I got, not only got a Betty Davis autograph, I got my own personal anecdote. How great is that? Well, did you go back and get it? No. No, she tossed it to Catherine. (laughs) Catherine caught it and put it in. Oh, she tossed it. I thought you meant she tossed it over her shoulder. No, what she did, because Catherine was sort of sitting over her shoulder, so she just tossed it, and Catherine retrieved it and put it in. (laughs) And I just laughed and laughed and went home and filmed and uh, framed my, my Betty Davis program. So I have it on my wall. Now, is your apartment an homage to the old movies? Yes. <laughs> As my What's your said, prized possession? My prized possession? Oh, it's they're unusual. I have that autograph of All About Eve, which I love. I have two pictures that Barbara Stanwyck sent to me and signed. I have, um, I have a. Uh, Oh, I have an autographed picture of uh, Gail Sondergaard, who I love. I have an autograph of Orson Welles and Charles Lawton. I have have my friend Mel Odom uh, 
who has been a, who created uh, these wonderful Jean dolls, which I love. I have them all over, and I love his work. I have some originals of his, and I have his Jean dolls. So it was through him that I met Marsha Hunt, who's a good friend of his, and we had dinner. Marsha Hunt told wonderful stories. She's over a hundred now, and her she's very. I know, very, and she's still. She's. She's very ahead. bright. She's very she's very bright and very funny. And just told the most wonderful anecdote, uh, just wonderful anecdote. Have you and seen the documentary knew, on her? Yes, I have. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's good. Really incredible and documentary. She, I hope that they, it gets oh, a yeah. life because it's yeah. it's well done. Have you seen the one on Mary Astor? Have you seen the one on? Oh Mary yes, Astor? I just saw that recently. Yeah, I helped with that one. Yeah, yeah, and I helped also with um, Mark Griffin's fabulous book on rock hudson it's called all that heaven allows it's the definitive biography of rock hudson and that's the first one where i got to a credit as a uh, uh, for helping him out i introduced the chapter on giant and that made me very happy but uh, i in fact i just had a when going back to the mary astor documentary i just had a nice chat with lee grant on the street uh, about two weeks ago uh, because she narrated that documentary we talked about mary oh yes astor. i know was, i know yeah, she's very nice. That Mary Astor has always been one of my favorites. I, in fact, in high school, <laughs> I was so obsessed with Mary Astor. I did my hair like her for my senior picture. And I, you did not. I did, that. <laughs> I did. I worked. My I had that kind of curly hair that's you know instead of everybody's growing long hair down to their shoulders, mine grew up like the Bride of Frankenstein. So I had I I I. I took the whole morning and I made my hair look like her hair in the great lie. And you know, that sweep down over one eye and I came downstairs and my mother was looked at me and she said, what is it? Is that a DA? And I very sarcastically said, no, it's Mary Astor in the great lie. And my mother mimicking me went, no, it's insane. And if you want to live to graduate, you'll go upstairs and change that before you get that picture taken today. I, was, I thought you were going to say when she said, is that a D.A., you said, no, it's an M.A. <laughs> really? Mary Astor. That would have been a better answer. I said, yeah. No, it's an M.A. Mary Astor. And I know my mother. She would have said, well, you're going to be D.O.A. unless you change that hairdo right now. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, Steve, believe it or not, our time has come to an end. Oh, well, I I, I hope that I haven't, you know – Talk your ear off, but I've enjoyed everything. No, my God, I love, love, love you, and I love this. And I want to remind everybody again, Steve Hayes with a hitch, Sunday, March 29th, 7 o'clock, $25 cover at Pangea. And the food is great there, too. I love it. I wish that I was going to be in town that night because I would definitely be there. I'm going to put the information on my timeline on Facebook. You can all follow me on Facebook. Thank you so much, and keep doing what you're doing because you're the best at it. Oh, oh, thank you so much. I love this, and I hope to see you soon. And bye, everybody. You will. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Wow. I just absolutely love him. We're about to sign off, and I want to tell everyone, uh, if you want to, uh, if you like today's program, please put your thoughts on my guest book at richardskipper.com. If you're in Piermont tonight, uh, please join me at Bunbury's Coffee Shop for positive full mooning. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Mickey Beloy. Um, I will be back next week uh, with a special guest to be announced any day now. 
I thank you for your time. Keep thinking those good thoughts. Now go out and do something nice for somebody without expecting anything in return. Thank you, and make it a great day. Goodbye.